And if you have your Bibles, we are walking through Psalm 78, at least the first eight verses this morning together. Psalm 78 in our summer in the Psalms. And the theme around the word this morning is our great responsibility. Our great responsibility. And so it's, I want to encourage us to try to go back in our hearts and minds as far back as we can go and try to think about and remember the time or maybe one of those first times we were truly entrusted with something that really mattered. Uh, entrusted with something that really matters. We were given responsibility. And as a, in our family, just about any time we go somewhere, uh, we are all about divvying out responsibilities. And like, kid number one, this is your responsibility. Kid number two, this is your responsibility. Kid number three, your responsibility. And we divvy out responsibilities. Uh, and it's really cool. It doesn't happen all the time. But when, when there is this understanding that uh, they're being entrusted with the responsibility. There's almost like an excitement. If you can remember early on, just like, wow, you're being trusted with something. And then, you know, they kind of go out. And then when they come back, I'm like, hey, do you have that thing you were responsible for? It's like, oh, I forgot. Oh, let me run and get it. So there's just like this reminder, like, oh, yeah, I was entrusted with that. I forgot. Let me go get it real quick. And, and I share that because the word today is an encouragement for all in the family of faith. And it is for all of us this great responsibility that God has entrusted us with. And so for some, it will be what I pray will be a great encouragement. That is the heart behind the word this morning, is that it is a great encouragement to us. But I also pray that perhaps for some, or maybe many, it's not just the reality of the responsibility, but it is a reminder of the responsibility. That it is this responsibility that God has entrusted us as believers, all believers, that He has entrusted all of us to pour in God's Word and God's mighty deeds into the hearts and minds of the next generation. That I want all of us who have a relationship with King Jesus, that we are, we are all responsible for pouring in God's truth and God's deeds into the next generation. Psalm 78 was written, you might see it as the header of Psalm 78, but written, written by Asaph. Asaph was a worship leader under King David when he ruled and reigned in Jerusalem. And the Holy Spirit anointed him to write this psalm to the church. And in just the first few verses, we hear and see multiple generations that are mentioned. Multiple generations. Let's look Psalm 78 verse 1. Asaph says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. So Asaph, you hear him writing, he's saying, give ear, O my people. In other words, he's speaking to his generation. He's speaking to everyone with an earshot of this psalm that he's written. And this is for the current generation, my people. In verse 2, he says this, I will open my mouth in a parable, and I will utter dark sayings from of old. And that's not dark in the sense of like evil, it's dark in the sense of of, of difficult truth, challenging truth from old. 
that God had poured into the generations before. Verse 3, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. So he's speaking to the current generation. And he's also making reference to their fathers, the previous generation. And then in verse 4, he says, we will not, or excuse me, verse 4, we will not hide them from their generation. So again, now we're back to the current generation. And then he goes on to say, but we'll tell the coming generation. And so in just a short amount of time, Asaph has spoken to the generation before. He's speaking to the generation that is listening. He's speaking to the generation of children. He's, as you look ahead to verse 6, he's even speaking to the generations that are come and literally writes to the unborn. In other words, this is for all generations to hear. And it's for the generations that have even yet to be born, which, by the way, is us. Here we are. We're in the text that Asaph is writing to the people of God how the Word of God is going to be transmitted, the Word of God and the works of God, the deeds of God poured in to the next generation so that they will go to the next generation and to the next generation. God's design is that His Word, His truth, and His greatness is carried through from one generation to generation. And all of the changes that we've experienced, even in our own generation, in our own life, there's been an unchanging design that God has set up from the beginning. That ever since He created man and woman, created them in His image to fill the earth and multiply His glory on the earth, the design is that His truth and His deeds are going to be passed down from generation to generation to generation. In this room right now, we have multiple generations. I love that we are a multi-generational church. Like all ages. And so I want to take a quick poll if you're willing to participate. All right, uh, I want to see what generations are represented. Okay, I'm going to start with what's known as the silent generation. That's what they've been known as labeled. But these would be people who were born between 1928 and 1945. If, if you're in that generation, would you slide your hand up? All right. We see you. We see you. That it was those born in this generation that would know and experience the Great Depression and understand the going through World War II. In our 8 a.m. service, we got to uh, surprise uh, Miss Sarah Ann Phillips turned 90 yesterday. She became a member of this faith family in 1944. Like, amazing! And so we got the generation. The generation following them are known as the Boomers. The baby boomers, those that were born between 1946 and 1964. If you're in the room, would you raise your hand? All right. Both my parents are boomers. And uh, in this generation, uh, they are known as the optimistic and strong worth, work ethic generation that comes through. Following the boomers are my generation. Generation X. This would be those born between 1965 and 1980. Where are we at? Children of the 80s, here we are, right? Uh, I, I love it. Uh, we are known as the middle child generation because we're, we're in between the boomers and we're in between the millennials. And we were the first ones to grow up with a thing called a personal computer. Uh, and uh, we just see how the generation 
has changed the next generation millennials, those born between 1981 and 1996. If you're a millennial in the house, all right, known as, or as far as we know, the single largest generation that is living worldwide right now are the millennials, followed by them, Gen Z, those born between 1997 and 2012. Where's my Gen Zers at? All right. Grew up, don't know life apart from the internet. Like, this is, this, is, this is who we are in the room right now. And then, we're in a current generation known as the Alpha Generation. Those are those born between 2013 and 2025. Where are my Alphas at? All right, I see those hands. I see you. And, uh, and, and so, here's the thing. There'll be another generation, if the Lord tarries, after 2025, just think about all that all this room has seen and all this room has experienced. And yet God's design is that the previous generation would pour into the next generation into the next generation. The silent generation into the boomers, the boomers into generation X, generation X into the millennials, into Gen Z and Alpha. But I do pray that we would not lose sight of the encouragement in the Word today, is that we would not lose sight of the great, again, responsibility that God has called us to and has entrusted to us to pour in His truth and His mighty deeds into the next generation. Because a lot can happen in one generation. If you have your Bibles, if you flip left, to the book of Judges. If you can join me there. Uh, if not, I'm just going to read it over us. But Judges chapter 2. And as you're turning there, or maybe turning on your screen there, uh, the great leader Moses has led and is with the Lord. God raised up another leader after Moses, and his name was Joshua. And we're going to pick up as Joshua's earthly days were wrapping up at the age of 110, and I want us to see what happens in a generation. Judges chapter 2, and I want to begin in verse 8. Judges 2, verse 8. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Goash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel, for them. Verse 11, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And they served Baals and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, and had, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after, and they went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals, and Ashtoreth. And the question that we must ask is, what went wrong? Like, what happened? What happened from the leadership of God leading the people of Israel and the people 
following Joseph's leadership, what happened to go from a generation of Designed to commit to follow God. Now, they had their ups and downs and twists and turns and never made it out of the wilderness, that Exodus generation. And to a generation that had turned their back on the Lord, what had happened? And at least part of the answer is that somewhere along the way, there was a breakdown in responsibility. There was a breakdown in neglecting the responsibility to pour in God's truth and God's mighty deeds into the next generation. And we know as we read the Word that there is a primary place for the truth of God and the works of God to be poured into the generation. And we know that that is the home. That home is the primary discipleship, disciple-making environment. That this is the place where fathers spiritually lead their homes Lead their brides, lead their children. That it is with great and grateful hearts that we praise God for godly mothers and godly grandmothers, uh, those spiritual mothers and fathers that God has placed in our lives. Even Paul wrote, when he wrote to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also, that the home was the primary avenue that the next generation would know the Word of God and the works of God. An ancient Jewish tradition would be the recitation of the Shema. It's a prayer. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read it. Briefly, this is God's design for the home. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, which by the way, if I'm keeping track, that's about every time of day that, that, can, that can happen. That God's design is in the home, whether you're walking or rising or sitting or laying down, that our hearts of the next generation are being poured into the truth of God and the mighty works of God. Verse 8 of Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. There is an ancient Jewish practice where the Jewish people will take a little leather box called a tephilim. And this little leather box actually holds scriptures from the Mosaic law. And they put these little scriptures in this little box, and then there's these leather straps that are like connected to this little box. And I'd heard about them, but I'd never seen one until I was on an airplane from New York to Tel Aviv. And, and I'm on the airport, and around the morning hour, as we're flying through the night, the Jewish, the Jews, those in, in the plane, would take out these little leather boxes, and they would wrap with these leather straps around their, around their hands, like super, super tight. And they would sit there, and they would pray. And they would pray. And as that time of prayer wrapped up, they would let go of the leather straps, 
And I had someone tell me that the reason they impressed the straps so tightly around their hands is the marks of the straps actually serve as a reminder that the Word of God would guide their hands and they would not forget that the Word of God would guide their hands everywhere they go. I mean, think about everything we do with our hands. The the vision is that God's Word would direct everything we do. But then he also says that they would bind them as frontlets around their eyes. In other words, they would take the same box with the word and with the straps, they would literally tie them around their head. So it's like everything you think and everything you do, everything you see would be directed by the word. And not only that, but in verse 9 of Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall write them on your doorpost of your house and on your gates. So look at, listen to God's design for His Word to be poured into the next generation. He's saying, he's saying, talk about it when you wake up. He's saying, talk about it when you sit down. Talk about it when you walk. Talk about it when you lay down. I want you to bind them as, 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 a, as a binding around your hand, as a sign around your hand. It's frontless between your eyes. Put them on your doorpost. Put them on your gates. This is God's design to raise up, and that God has entrusted us as mothers and fathers with great responsibility. And and be encouraged by this. It's great responsibility. But I also want to say we don't just stop there. But we go beyond. Because if you look at verse 4, Asaph writes, We will not hide them from their children. In other words, the community of faith takes responsibility together as a community of faith for pouring in the truth of God and the mighty deeds of God into the next generation. That God's plan is that everybody has a role. So I don't want, if you're not a mom or a dad, I don't want you to like be like, okay, this message is for moms and dads. No, this message is for the, uh, the, the young girl that came to faith over Winshape went to one of our leaders, and our leader said, okay, now you get to tell them to your, to, to, to your family. Once you tell other people, uh, tell three other people, and, 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 and they said, well, you're my first one, right? And then went and told their family, and we, uh, with a sister church, followed in believer's baptism. This, like, like this young, just came to faith in Christ, is telling others about Christ, the gospel of Christ. That, that not only that, if you're a teenager in the room, I've been so encouraged. I got a couple pictures and heard a couple stories from Honduras. And like God wants to use this generation to tell others about the word of God and the works of God. Young adult, whatever stage of life you're in, God wants to use you in the community of faith to pour into the next generation. That if you are a median adult, that God wants to use you to pour into the next generation. That if you are a senior adult, God wants to use you to pour into the next generation. So much so that like that's all of us. The the psalm is we, we, we are committed to pour the truth of God and the works of God into the next generation. And I'm so thankful for we. Because I'm so thankful for the family of faith. I'm so thankful for this faith family. I'm so thankful that with my youngest, Judah Ridge, that over the past year, that we've had, Miss Vicky's been rocking him and loving on him and praying on him. And now Miss Kathy and even right now, the Watts are pouring into him as he's in the nursery next door. 
I'm so thankful for Wave. I'm so thankful for her Sunday school teachers. I'm so thankful for Ms. Megan and Ms. Tiffany and Ms. Dee Dee. We take time to pour God's truth and God's deeds into those young hearts. I'm so thankful on Wednesday night for Ms. Janet and Ms. Katie who are pouring into her heart. I'm so thankful for Mr. Ken and Mr. Jeffrey who are pouring into my son during this last hour. I'm so thankful on Wednesday nights for Mr. Carey and, and Mr. Jason who are pouring God's truth into my son's life. I'm so thankful for Ms. Kim and so thankful for Ms. Laura who are pouring God's truth and God's deeds into my daughter. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for Mr. Edwin and Mr. Jeremy. They're pouring God's truth and so many countless brothers and sisters in our faith family that have come around us as a family. That it's not just us, although that is our responsibility. But it is the family of faith that we link arms together in pouring God's truth and God's word into the next generation. Verse 4 says, we, we will not hide them from their children, but will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. We don't have time to go through Psalm 78. But let me just ring off a few of the deeds. Verse 13, he divided a sea and let them pass through it. And he made waters stand in a heap. Verse 14, in the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. Verse 15, he split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. Verse 16, he made streams come out of a rock. Verse 23, he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and rained down on them manna to eat. Have I shared before the original wonder bread, right? The original wonder bread. Verse 25 says men ate the bread of angels. Verse 27, he rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the sea. And by the way, God provided this in his grace because if you've ever read about the Exodus generation, they've been described as stiff-necked and complaining to God. And yet God in His grace and His love provides for them. Verse 30 and 31, we see His judgment of sin. Verse 38, 39, His mercy towards His people. Verses 44 through 51, the signs and wonders against Egypt, God's victory over Israel's armies and provision in verse 55. And if you race to the end, you will see God has raised up King David. One of my favorite pastoral verses, he says, they, He led them with integrity of heart and skill of hand. And that all of this, this is, this is our responsibility. That we would pour in the word of God and the work of God. And yet, if you're in Psalm 78, look at verse 11. They forgot. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. We can look back, we're like, how do you forget that? <laughs> but let's ask ourselves the question. Have there been times or seasons where it seems as if we have forgotten God and His worthiness and His priority over all things, His supremacy over all things, His Lordship in all things of our lives. That we see that 
God is God. And I don't know. I wasn't there. But is it possible? Did they get too busy? Did they become too preoccupied with lesser things? Did hobbies become more important than worship and surrender to to the Lord? We don't know, but I, I know just in my life, as my, the busyness in my life creeps up, the forgetfulness in my life can creep up. And it is possible, it is possible that there can be too much going on. And the, the litmus test is, have I become too busy to worship the Lord? Have I become too busy to pour in the Word of God and the deeds of God into my own heart and into the next generation. So verse 5 says that he established a testimony. God, he established a testimony in Jacob. He appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children. I was reading this passage with my kids earlier this week, and I told them, I was like, hey, God's talking to y'all. Like, one day you're going to have kids. <laughs> and my kids are like, what are you talking about? But, but that's exactly what the Word's talking about. It's about your kids, and then your kids' kids, and your kids' kids, the ones that aren't even born yet. Like, this is God's design and God's plan for your life, for your life to pour His Word, to pour in his truth. Asaph is speaking of the word of God. He's talking about us. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said this, the same principle and guide applies to our lives today. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to to teach others also. And what happens when the Word of God and the works of God are poured in? Verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and they not forget the works of God, but they keep His commandments. They keep His Word. Hope is one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. Hope. Hope, uh, my daughter just ran up to me a while ago and showed me a sticker on her Bible, and it just says, hope. I don't know where it came from, but I was like, yes, hope. Like the hope that is in God. The hope that is one of God's greatest gifts, because no matter how dark it gets, and no matter, no matter how hard it gets, and no matter how broken it gets, and no matter how unfair life Seems like it gets. But there is always hope. There's always hope because we know God is always working. There's always hope because we know He is Lord. There's always hope because He know He works all things together for the good to those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. We know there's hope because as a believer, we know this earth is not the end of the line. But there is that eternal life with Him through a personal relationship with God. I was reminded in our meet and greet time with David 
yesterday and he was sharing just, we talked about like, what are those things you hope a child that grows up through the children's ministry, when they go into middle school, what's one of those things? One of those was that they are anchored in the truth of the gospel, in the word of God, in the promises of God, because we can all testify life isn't fair at times and life is very broken at times, but it is our hope in God that sustains us. I mean, like, Warning, if you're putting all your hope in your skill, if you're putting all your hope in your brain power, if you're putting all your hope in your ability, if you're putting all your hope in another person, you've probably let yourself down at some point, and others have probably let you down at some point. But God never, ever lets us down. He is faithful. He is faithful. And so Asaph is giving this encouragement, this sobering, Warning not to be a Judges 2 type of generation. And the way and the avenue in God's design is that His Word and His works are poured in so that, verse 8, that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. We, with the Word of God, we can see what happens after King David steps down. His son Solomon takes the reign. We see what happens after Solomon takes reign. The kingdom then divides into northern and southern kingdom. Jerusalem, Judah to the south. The northern kingdom, Israel to the north. And if you know the story there, you will see that the nation of Israel turned their backs on God, made a religion that suited them for themselves, and we see how that all played out. And God in His grace did raise up leaders, and kings, and judges. But we also see the suffering that follows those who do not take hold of the Word of God and the works of God. And so the encouragement I hope we hear today is that we learn Asaph, is, this is called a history psalm. In other words, he's given the people a history lesson. But isn't it sometimes hard to learn from the past? Sometimes we have to learn more by doing. But God in His grace is showing us the better way. He's showing us the way of honoring the Lord. And so we must teach them about God's faithfulness in light of our sometimes faithlessness. We see God's grace and His forgiveness in light of our failures. We see His grace and His care and His love guiding through the mighty works and deeds and ultimately through the gospel of His love for us in sending His Son to die a substitutionary death for us to take our place so that we could be forgiven and be set free through His resurrection. And so as we look at this word I want us to be reminded of what a wise mentor once told me, and, 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 and it's come in different ways. And sometimes these kind of encouragements come in different ways. One was, Jared, your children will likely not prioritize what you marginalize. But our children are watching. We're not perfect, nobody is, but they're watching, they're observing, they're learning. 
And then not only that, and I was just, had just become a dad, and, and I was, I, I don't know about y'all, but I need wisdom, and I'm thinking I'm not alone. And so, like, we never stop seeking wisdom. We never stop seeking wise counsel. And I remember meeting after kind of becoming a, a dad for the first time and meeting with a man who I greatly respected. And I said, man, I'm a sponge. Just give me what you got. <laughs> give me what you got. And he said, well, he said, one of my greatest priorities as a parent was to teach my children that they are responsible to God. That they are to love and be responsible to Him. And I've held on to that. And, and there are all kinds of things that we come alongside our kids and we help them and pour into them. We want to see our children succeed in everything that they do. But it's important that we would see what God's desire is for our families and for our children. And, he, and, and, of, and, and Jeremiah chapter 9, this, this is such a powerful word. Jeremiah had a tough ministry known as the weeping prophet. I mean, think about that as kind of your, your job title. You know, a tough season. But in that tough ministry, here's what he says. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast in his might, and let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. I love that. God in His grace is making it so simple. Let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love and justice and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So what do I do? What do I do? If, you're, if you are in a place of spiritual influence in another's life, here's what I would encourage us all to do. Take a deep breath, okay? God is with us. Take a deep breath. It is very easy. Because I've, I've, I've said these things and I've talked to so many of you have. Who am I? Who am I? Do you know my past? Do you know my struggles? Do you know this? Do you know that? Can we just put all the excuses to the side? And as a child of God, God is reminding us yet again our responsibility to pour His Word and His mighty deeds into the next generation. And so where we can come up with all these reasons why we're not qualified, God in His grace has said, through the shed blood of my son and your redemption, I've qualified you. We've maybe heard the word, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the, anybody know? Called. He's the qualifier. <laughs> we're not. Apart from him, we're not qualified. With him, we can do all things. And so to take a deep breath, and it could be that maybe you understand this responsibility and 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 perhaps this is a place where you maybe feel a little intimidated but I just want to encourage us all today any intimidation is a whisper of the enemy just simply gather your family together open up the word and 
read some scripture together. You don't have to preach a 45-minute sermon. You don't have to have three points. You don't have to have an illustration. You don't have to have an altar call in your house. Like, just come around the Word. Ask your kids how you can pray for them. Your kids might ask how they can pray for you. Pray together. Maybe sing a song together. Maybe it's around the table you ask questions like, how did you see God's power on display today? How did you see God at work today? You just have these conversations. And so there's that practical encouragement in the home. But there is two points of application I like to bring before us. There is the application of the home. And there's the application of the family of faith. Where I am thankful for godly, young kids who have a passion for the Lord that are telling others about their passion for the Lord. For teenagers who pour into my children and into my life. For every age and stage of life that pours into the next generation. I want us to hear this together. This is our responsibility. God has entrusted us. And so if it's kind of one of those things where like, I don't know about the next generation. That's really not, not my strength. It's not really. Listen, the application can look a lot of different ways. And I'm sure Miss Stacy with our preschool and, and, and God's grace and willing, uh, Pastor David in the children's area, Pastor Jake in our student area, I'm sure they would love to have a conversation if God is stirring in your heart to pour into the next generation that will always be a priority for our family of faith. And it could be God has been stirring, but you haven't taken that step. We have a process to train and equip, but I want to encourage you to say yes to God. To say yes to God. But even regardless of what that application is, whether it's a spiritual mother or a spiritual father or, or our, the kids in our neighborhood or families in our neighborhood or, or our schools or teachers and leaders, those kind of things, like just being sensitive to God has qualified you to pour His Word and His deeds into the next generation. And so it is through that that the next generation will grab a hold of Christ as our hope. The theme for our Honduras mission team was showing hope. Why? Because Christ is our only hope. He's our only hope. And so I pray that we would be sensitive to how the Lord would use us. That we would excitedly and surrenderedly. I think I just make up a word right there. <laughs> take this responsibility that God has entrusted to us. To pour His word and to pour His mighty deeds into the next generation. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the greatest news that could ever be shared. The message of hope, forgiveness, redemption, rescue, and peace with you only through a relationship with Jesus Christ because of your perfect life, substitutionary death on the cross to take our place, to take our payment for our sin, placed in a tomb, rose gloriously the third day, proves you alone have the power to forgive our sin and to make us right with you. And that relationship comes through turning from self and sin, turning to you 
and with our whole hearts surrender to You as Lord, believing in You. God, I pray for the overwhelmed parent or guardian who finds them place in this, in this place of spiritual leadership. We're not perfect. We're not going to always get it right. But God, in Your grace and in Your strength, You can give us the grace and strength to pour Your Word and to pour Your mighty deeds into the hearts of the next generation. God, I pray for our faith family. All ages, all stages of life, You have invited us and called us and reminded us of our great responsibility. May we not be like the Exodus generation or the northern kingdom that said, you know what? God, we're going to go our way and find a religion that suits them in their lifestyle. And God, we see the suffering that came as a result of that. So God, I pray we would be absolutely committed to pouring in your truth and your deeds. God, we love you. Thank you for this reminder. Thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the privilege to serve as your ambassadors in this generation. God, there is a hunger for truth and a hunger for authenticity in this world. And God, the place to find it is a genuine, surrendered follower of Christ. So God, I pray we would be faithful, faithful to you to make you known. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. I will have pastors here with a time of response. Pray that you would just uh, perhaps lay your heart open before the Lord and His Word and be sensitive to however God may be leading you in that way to respond. But know you're loved and may we worship the Lord and walk in obedience to Him in this time.